Welcome uh, to the whatever. <laughs> the Ride or Die podcast. Yeah. Say it. The Ride or Die podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, my good friend, training partner, uh, teacher to the stars, Alan Carter. Hello there. <laughs> and the crowd goes wild. Absolutely. They have to. It's Alan Carter. <laughs> uh, so how have you been? I know you're, uh, you're moving here at the end of the school year. Either June or July. Yeah. Either June or July, huh? Yep. And uh, I just got back from being in California for a month. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that time was spent with designers <clears throat> who are going to essentially gut most of my house there that I already own and rent and uh, going to turn it into a place for us to move to. Yeah? Yeah. Why California? Uh, I moved there in 1980 and um, worked as a musician, mostly in the Los Angeles area, some in Palm Springs, um, for 25 years. And whenever I went to Palm Springs, it was like, this is a cool place. <laughs> I really like this place. And the more I did it, it was like, you know, I want to retire here. It's a nice town, fairly safe. It's in the desert. I can be in L.A. in a couple hours. And, and the weather's beautiful, and the people are nice, and it's just, it's just cool. Yes. O- only, only downside. Only downside, there's no gym. Yeah, that's what you're telling me. No place to train. There is no, there is no, there is no gym. I've gone out there for a month over Christmas every year for eight years, and every year I scour the place. And this last time, I thought I found a place. I sent him a message and everything. It said striking classes, MMA gym, yada yada yada. I said, Great, I found a place. So I put the address in Siri, and I come to find out. Uh, I, no. Okay. First off, it was in a town that turned out to be about 45 minutes away each way. All right. So I thought, well, maybe a couple times a week I'll do a striking class. Mm-hmm. But then I couldn't find it. Even Siri couldn't find it. Oh, no. <laughs> and so, and, and it's the only time Siri hasn't found it. And so I'm driving around. And finally, I look in this strip mall-like thing. And there I see this dim light in between a bail bondsman and a massage parlor. And so it's like, okay, I know I'm probably not going to do this, but for purely sociological reasons, I want to check it out now. Yeah, just curiosity, yeah. right? Yeah. So I go in there, and it's, it's maybe a space a little bit bigger than your room here. Okay. And there's like, I don't know, 16 guys in it. And no real teaching going on. They're just pounding stuff and each other. I mean, they were throwing shots. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was like, wow. And, uh, and so the professor, mm-hmm. right, I introduced myself. And he said, oh, yeah, you're the guy who sent me the thing online that you wanted to check. I thought you were kidding. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and, and I said, well, no, actually, I'm kind of serious you know this is what i've done and yada yada and uh, he said well you can watch if you want but 
I would never expect my insurance to cover somebody as old as you. Really? And so I said, I appreciate your honesty. And yeah, I'm going to hang out for a little bit. And so I sat there for about 10 minutes and watched these guys. And it was like watching a fight. Oh, really? Yeah. And he wasn't really doing any teaching. So I just, okay, this is something I have to give up Mm -hmm. when I retire. But I've got a great house. I've got great friends in California. I love living there. Um, and I don't ever have to walk or drive in snow again, <laughs> which is like a real goal for me. Okay, okay. So how, how old are you right now? I will be 68 years old tomorrow. Tomorrow. Well, happy, you know, early birthday. So uh, what got you into martial arts, though? Like, how old, how old are you when you actually joined the, the ACA? I was 55. 55. What got, what got you into wanting to start learning how to throw punches? I always, when I was a kid, in my hometown, I wanted to be on the wrestling team. Mm-hmm. But there was no wrestling team. I thought wrestling was cool. Mm-hmm. And I'd see it on like the Olympics when it came up, real wrestling. Yep. And then I love professional wrestling. Yeah, like the WWF, great. WWE now, yeah. I guess it would be. Yeah. Yeah, and so it was like, wrestling's cool, but we don't get to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then, frankly, when I was being raised as a child, it was a very protective environment. Okay. Uh, I wasn't even allowed to mow the yard. So you were just pretty restricted on a lot of things. Yeah, well, I was already a musician. I started playing in clubs when I was 11. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, we were breaking every child labor law there was, okay? And, and, so, and so, you know, well, Alan can't mow the yard because his hand might get under the lawnmower. Like, just because I'm a musician, I'm so stupid that I'm going to put my hand right. under a running lawnmower. But that was kind of the logic. And my dad was Army and very disciplined, and it was clear that he didn't want me to do any of that stuff, okay? So then I'm a musician in a town of 2,000 people where most of the time boys don't do music. Mm -hmm. Boys do other stuff. Yeah. So there was this vision of what I was that wasn't really accurate, which was why I graduated high school a year early, simply because I just wanted to get out. Right, a little bit of freedom. And... Did my first tour of Europe playing when I was 16. Did you, did you uh, go to Europe by yourself? Well, I went with a group. Okay, okay, okay. With, with, with a band. Okay. And, um, and, you know, it was just kind of predestined that I was going to do this other thing, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, I never thought about it, and I just went to a regular gym, lifted weights, did cardio, yada, yada, yada. And I'd still watch boxing and wrestling and martial arts and stuff when it was on the TV, and I thought, this was really cool. I really like this stuff. It's too bad that I didn't get into this. And so then, you know, um, I don't remember where it was, but I saw my first underground, because it was underground at that point, MMA fight. Oh, really? And, and um, yeah, it was like out, it was like out in the woods at some reservation in Southern California. All right. And uh, I remember Mark Coleman was there. Okay. And, and, um, and so I watched it and was like, 
this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. It is cool. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. How do you learn how to do that? And why am I even thinking about it at this point? Because at that point, I was probably late 40s, early 50s. These were young people. Yeah. You know? And I thought, it would just be cool exercise. But never happened. So then in 2005, I moved here. And I was doing stuff. And then I started to seeing, as I'd been here for several years, I started seeing these gyms. And, um, and I was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check some of it out. So I went to a local uh, Taekwondo gym. And the person held something up and said, you know, about as high as their head and said, well, let me see you kick this. You know, it's like, I'll give it a go. Yeah, right. At least it's not going to happen. <laughs> but here we go. You know, well, if you can't do that, I don't know how much I can do for you. Oh, really? And then I went to another one and I walked in and they just, and they just kind of said, and they just kind of looked and I could tell inside they were chuckling. It was like, no, no, we, this, this won't work for us. I went to a um, um, jujitsu place and I was walked in for my free session, was handed a gi and got out there with a guy who was actually, I wish I could remember his name because he was a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he was walking me through stuff and we actually had a really good time. Yeah. You know, and it got done. But then the guy who ran the place became like this stereotypical used car salesman trying to pressure me into all this stuff. It's like, man, I want to think about this a little bit. Yeah. You know, and it was like, you know, well then get out. Okay. Great. And so I thought that things had kind of, that, you know, that um, because I'd exhausted all the possibilities I'd been able to find. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, this, this isn't going to happen. And then one day I just said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go <coughs> online. I'm going to go online one last time. And I'm going to see if there's another place I haven't found yet. And um, if there is, I'm going to check it out. And if it's not, it's a sign from God that I'm not supposed to do this. Mm-hmm. And I went on, and that day... I saw ACA and I saw Dylan who was then working with John Collins. Mm -hmm. John Collins was Muay Thai, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And they were in this metal shed on main street. Oh, I remember the place. Yeah. 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 Hole hole in the wall. Oh yeah. And so I went down there and you know, and I said, you know, I don't know. This has been my experience to this point. And they were both like, well, let's just try. Mm-hmm. No harm in trying. And I'm sure, you know, as much as Dylan and John have come to love me and I love them, I'm sure that they thought, okay, this is a month. Yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> you know, he's going he's gonna to pay for his first month. He's going to see what he's into and he's going to split. Now, especially now, they'll, they'll never say that. Yeah. But, but I'm sure it was in their, in their minds. It had to be. Mm-hmm. And so I went and I did it. And most of the guys really nice to me. I never had a problem finding a training partner. And um, and it just worked. So I kept going. But I was so bad. And I was so out of shape. <clears throat> and and um, um, that first summer, man, that place wasn't air-conditioned. It was hot outside. Mm-hmm. It was hotter inside. I was sweating like a pig. 
there were days that I drove in and it was everything it was everything I needed everything I could possibly muster to get the courage to get out of the car to go back in. Mm-hmm. Because some of those guys are actually like fighters. Yeah. Okay. And I'm this old guy. I mean, at this point, I'm 55 years old, right? And, um, <clears throat> but the most important part was I, was I was embraced and I was supported. And I was embraced and I was supported the way that I try to embrace and support in my teaching and in my life. And so it was like, okay, this is home. Yeah. You know? And so I just kept going and kept going and kept going. And it's, it's just never stopped. I mean, it's one of the great passions in my life. Yeah. And, uh, just, I, I, I can't, you know, I, I know without question or pause, it will be the hardest part of leaving. Oh, okay. It'll be, it will be... It will be intensely emotional for me the last day that I go to that gym. And that would be like 13 years about? It'll be, yeah. 13 years. 13 years. That's crazy. Good for you. And not, not a lot of people can say going in at that age and just trying something, right? Even young kids are tr- scared to try stuff. And right. you going in there at your age, seeing all these young guys and gals Right, you know, putting their heart into something, and you put the, you put yourself at their level. Think about this. Why is it so easy for babies to learn? Because they have to. Exactly, but they don't. But they haven't been conditioned in a way that they get upset or bugged or feel horrible about themselves trying to fit the square peg in the round hole. They try the square peg. Yeah, it doesn't work. Here's a star. I'm going to try the star. Mm-hmm. The star is cool. It doesn't work. Finally, they find it. And then they they start trying to put something in the star hole. Yeah. And they never get bugged about it. As you age, you're conditioned by the people who surround you that when you make mistakes, it's bad. And it's not. No, I totally agree. It's not. It's the best thing that can happen to you. Because you've you've eliminated a possibility that doesn't work. Yep. Okay. But the way people are with themselves, largely because of the way other people treat them, mm-hmm. as soon as you make a mistake, oh, man, right? And that's, that's me at the gym. I miss something. I miss a combination. I do something wrong. There's something I can't do, you know. Um, <clears throat> it drives me nuts. Yeah. Okay? I'm not able to take that child-like quality, that baby-like quality, into my learning. Right, because children don't have emotions on what they're doing. They're just doing it because they're curious. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, it, some people, the only way they can feel good about themselves is, that they're, is if they're making somebody else feel bad. Oh, yeah. I know people like that. And so, and so that, that gets so much at one level or another into society that it brings a fear to do something like that. Mm-hmm. But yet... I'm a teacher, and I'm supposed to be finding ways for people to move on fearlessly, yet I'm not going to do that. I mean, I have to practice what I preach. Oh, yeah, 100%. And you teach at NDSU for the I, moment. I teach at MSUM. MSUM, I'm sorry. Yep. I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah. yep, yep, yep. And so, you know, it's 
that's why it'll be so emotional for me. It's, I've, it's, it has made me better at everything I do. Martial arts. Yeah. Yeah. It, oh, has, yeah. it has made me better at everything I do. Do you think it's because of the discipline aspect of it all? Oh, without question. Yeah. Without question. I think, I think every child should, should, should go through the process of doing something like martial arts. And, I, and personally, I can't think of anything better. No, ne- neither neither can I. Maybe yoga, but yeah. people say yoga is a martial arts of the mind kind of thing. Yeah, which I love yoga. Anything that makes you uncomfortable and struggle is rewarding if you do it the right way. Exactly, and the struggle becomes less. You know, and there are still goals. I am still going to kick Sidney Ben Simons in the head before <laughs> I leave. Okay, he knows it's coming. It's a switch kick. Yeah, and he knows it's coming. So that's fine. I owe, I owe Ben a couple black eyes. <laughs> yeah, I think we all owe Ben something. Well, see, that switch kick comes from we were training something in a clinch, and someone uh, whose name I won't mention kind of picked Ben up and turned him and just started to throw him. And Ben wasn't my partner at the time, but his leg nonetheless came connected with my head. Oh, no. <laughs> and so I took this head kick from, from Ben, you know, and totally not his fault, you know, really. Yeah. But, but at that point, I became committed. Committed, yeah. Yeah, that at some point, I'm going to head kick Ben. Life goal, right there. Exactly, <laughs> before I leave. I can't leave until I do it. That's funny. Okay, so we got this card game. This card game's really fun. Uh, basically, ask you pretty serious questions on okay. life whatnot. I'll pick one. I'll pick one from this side, then you'll pick one from this side. And we'll just go back and forth and just okay. kind of go with it. <clears throat> okay. So first question. Okay. If you could ever, if, if you could never work again, how would you spend your time? Making sure that the world was better for other people. Boom. You're a prophet. That is like the most nicest thing someone could actually say. You know, in fact, I mean, obviously with getting ready to retire. Yeah. I've thought about this, you know, um, if you look inside certain aspects of the arts, let's say symphony orchestras, um, recording for media, the upper echelon of the music industry, so on and so forth, there is a scarcity of minorities and women. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I can do, but if there's something I can do to help change that, I'd like to be able to do it. Get women more into the musical scene? Yeah, I mean, you know, you go to the Hollywood Bowl and look at the orchestra. Uh, White guys. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and, And it breaks down a little bit racially, too. Now it's changing some. It has changed some. But, you know, I have young female students that go through a lot of struggles that the male students don't. Mm hmm And... I don't know if there's any organization that does that works with things of that nature, you know. Um, but if there is, I I, I want to become involved. I, I believe in, I believe there's social justice projects that go beyond the arts, dealing with uh, with race and gender. Mm-hmm. That um, you know, I I can see myself volunteering. I I know that I will not go to a, a regular job. Yeah. 
I've done that. I'm done. But I want to, um, <clears throat> I want to explore ways that, that I can make it better for other people. Yeah. That's, that's I, what I'm about. I like that. And that's, uh, so what was the question? Yeah, I'd spend my time with, in jiu-jitsu. Like, it's something I want to continue on for the rest of my life. Teaching, encouraging. You know, if I could actually, uh, I'd like to, I always told myself uh, if I'd ever win the lottery, I'd open up a free gym. But you'd have to write an essay of why you want to do jiu-jitsu to get in the gym. Like, people would have to try somewhat to get a free membership. There was a guy when John and Dylan were running the gym that got kicked out that wanted to come back. And I remember John saying that he was going to have them write an essay just like that. And that if it said one word about fighting rather than the spirituality and all the other mm-hmm. stuff with mm-hmm. martial arts, that he wasn't going to let him back. You know, that, yeah, yeah. that if he couldn't talk about all the, all the real stuff that you should get from martial arts. Yeah, the stuff you actually get from martial arts. Yeah, that, 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 that doesn't just make your body a weapon. It, 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 it makes your mind and your soul a weapon. Right. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. You know, it's instead of giving yourself an ego, it's supposed to make you humble. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I get humble every time I walk through those doors. No, so do I. <laughs> so do I. So do I. All, all the time. Okay. So here is, <clears throat> which friend would you call to help you bury the body and why? <sighs> Probably my buddy Wagon. Me and Wagon go way back. We've had a lot of lot of shenanigans, we'll say, in the years. But hopefully I never have to bury a body, <laughs> to be honest. That's a that's a yeah, he he's definitely the friend I would call that he he'd probably be like, you know, where I need to be. I wouldn't have to tell him what was going on. Zach Thumb. Zach Thumb. <laughs> Zach Thumb. Zach Thumb. And the story behind this is Somebody did a really bad thing, I think, to Zach's sister. Mm-hmm. And Zach was contemplating finding the guy. Yeah. And he was like, if I get arrested, can I call you to get me out? It's like, anytime, day or night. <laughs> here's the number. He told me what happened. It was like, here's the number, you know. Yeah, if you need to get out of the country, I'll buy you the ticket. Oh, there you go. Jeez, <laughs> crazy. Yeah, Zach Thumb. Hey, Zach. All right. Are you a morning person or a night person? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, because I was a musician, I was always a night person mm-hmm. or a, or a midday person. Yeah, yeah. But then I started teaching. And then I'd have semesters when I had to teach an eight o'clock class every day. Eight in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And which meant I'd have to get up five thirty, six o'clock to be prepared. Mm-hmm. So now I'm a morning person, but I used to be an evening person and I still like the evenings. The only problem is like if I go hang out, you know, go do something and get home late, I have an internal clock and I just get up at six o'clock. Yeah. I don't yeah. need an alarm. I'm just, boom, I'm there. Yeah. My alarm goes off at six o'clock, but I'm usually up at five. It's it don't matter no no matter what time I go to bed I'm always up at five. Wow, that's that's just because the oil field. Because of the oil field. Yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. when I get off work nights and then I have to switch my 
switch my clock around, my sleep s- schedule around. Right. And it's, it just sucks. So <laughs> I actually had another job interview. Well, my second uh, job interview last Monday, and they called me in for a second job interview. And I, I basically went in there wearing this. I didn't, I didn't suit up like I did last time. Right. And they basically asked, asked him, they, he asked me what I needed for him to me to get hired. And I basically told him, you know, 75% of the pay I make now, which is a, a very big uh-huh. cut in wages for me. Right. And he looks at me and goes, I don't know if I afford, can afford you, but I don't know if I can afford not to have you. And it was. If you look at the numbers in what they're now calling the great resignation, mm-hmm. people just leaving jobs, quitting, mm-hmm. you know, to get great people, you have to start giving them what they want. Yeah. And management hasn't always had to do that. Um, and so, um, you know, it's kind of like the story of Scrooge. The you, duck? You, Scrooge the duck? No. <laughs> no, no. Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Three, the three ghosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know? I got you. Um, I'm a believer in unions. And the reason I'm a believer in unions is because most managers I've met, three ghosts coming to them, telling them what's going to happen if they don't get their stuff together, isn't going to make a difference. Yeah. And you've got to have the strength that comes from somebody supporting you as a worker. And I was just watching a, uh, a 60 Minutes thing uh, as I was eating lunch today about, about this very thing and that people aren't going to settle. There are so many jobs and so few people, so few quality people, mm-hmm. that they know now that they can get what they want because they can go someplace else and get it. Mm-hmm. And that hasn't happened to this degree, according to the, all the data that was being yep. spoken to, hasn't happened to this degree in history. So what he's saying is he realizes that he might have to take a little less so that he can have a person of quality doing your job. Yep. I hope it pans out. I really do. It would be cool. I would be home every night. Wow. You see my kid? I haven't been home every night except for, it'll be 12 years I'll be working on the drilling rigs in February. No, no, you need to fix that. Yep, yep, that's that's the plan. We'll see. Okay. I think you're up. Wasn't wasn't mine the body bag? Nope. Was it? That was, a, that was this card, I think. Okay. What have you learned about love? Oh. Actually, I think me and Ben had that card, too. Um, so that's, a, that's a definitely a personal question. Because so, I went well last year, took a toll on me uh, getting over a relationship. But I would say uh, love is consistent. Consistent, consistency. Did I say that word right? Consistency. Consistency. I can't say it. Yes, it's consistency. <laughs> I can't say it. It's it's to be. A, it's a constant, right? You, everything has to be, you know. It's a consistency and being a team, right? It's it's not one does one thing, one does the other thing. It's not a competition of who does more, who does less. It's a it's all about being content of who you're with and being proud of the other person and. And they can't. There's no room for love with selfish people. Oh, unquestionably. Yeah, you can't be selfish at all. You have to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Hey, I said it right. See, 
you can't be, yeah, you can't be selfish. You can't be, you have to be consistent uh-huh. and you have to be a team. Yeah. And there has to be, from my side, an incredible amount of flexibility. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to be comfortable with someone else beyond the extent to which you're comfortable with yourself. Ooh, that's true. All right. And, and the reason for that is, you know, uh, let's see, this June, my wife and I will celebrate our 34th anniversary. And I really feel that the main reason we're going to be able to celebrate it is that we have our life together and we each have our life separately. I went to Thailand for a month. Mm-hmm. No one was more in favor of it than she was. Yeah. There are things that she likes to do that I really don't want to do. <laughs> <coughs> and so she takes her month and goes and does those or week or whatever it is. Yeah. And then we have our mutual things that we're together for. And we're able to bring the the joy that comes from that flexibility of not... If you lose a part of your life because of each other, it's going to reflect in how you live with each other. Oh, yeah. I like the way you said that. And, and, so, and so, you know, the, 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 the greatest thing that Julie has given me is incredible freedom. All right, the same that I've given to her because we can be flexible. We have come to completely trust each other. Yeah. And we know that this is going to happen. We're going to be together. And then Alan's going to go, you know, pretend to be Bruce Lee and she's going <laughs> to go do whatever she does. Yeah. And then we're going to come back together. And because we, ha- because we can continue those joys, we have a deeper joy with each other. Yeah. You have two separate lives that make one good relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Good for you. Congratulations. Okay. Would you rather, would you rather explore space or the ocean? Space. Why? Um, okay. You got, you got to think about, you think about this. How, you can explore space, but it takes forever to get places. That's true. The ocean will be, it's a lot smaller. And we only know like 25% of what's going on in the ocean. That's true. <clears throat> and part of what we know about the ocean is all the trash that's getting dumped in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm becoming an environmentalist too. That's good. That's good. So maybe I'll do that when I retire. Um, there are things, I mean, I could see getting in like a submarine and seeing if there are mermaids. Oh, there are. They're, are out, there? they're out there. Well, I, I see them in, in all the clubs. They're, I am a mermaid. Yeah, you know, yeah. Je suis mermaid. Yeah, know? women are weird. Yeah, you know. They haven't thought about what being a mermaid really is. Right. If you, if you want to find out what being a mermaid really is, um, look up Eliza Schlesinger Mermaid on YouTube. If you don't know who she is, she's a great comedian. I think she's a hoot. 
and she does all of this stuff, and she has this whole thing about mermaids, and it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to check it out. Um, you know, I don't know. I've always, been in, I've always been enthralled by the concept of flight, and I was alive to see John Glenn be the first American to go into space. Oh, right. wow. Yeah. And so, and so I've lived through that whole history, and, you know, now that I, now I see people, you know, spending too much money to get the chance to do it. I mean, it won't happen in my lifetime that someone like myself would be able to go up. Mm-hmm. But I think it would be so cool if somebody could. And what if there is something else out there? You know, I, I, guess, I'm, I guess I'm more interested in what's out there than what's down there. Yeah. There's a, there's just a, I'm, I'm all about space, too. I, like, I want to colonize Mars. I want to go. I want to go to Mars. Like leave planet Earth. Yeah. Be, the first, be on the first mission to Mars and yeah. Be like a real explorer, right? That's that's unheard of. Right. Uh, but NASA just had a picture, and it was of a something exploding in space. I don't exactly remember what it was, but they said the amount of oxygen that would allow that explosion, you could uh, it would fill up like 50 of our solar systems or something like that. Uh-huh. It's super interesting. I don't know how they know that. It's so weird. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Okay. Describe your relationship with your father in one sentence. In one sentence? Mm-hmm. You know, quality over quantity. That's just because growing up, he was a he was a bar owner. He was not really around. Both my parents weren't around that much because they're small business owners, but they always made time for my basketball games, football games. You know, they did whatever they could to. They put me and seven other of my siblings all through Catholic private school, and they just did very well. And they just wanted the best life for us. And whenever they had the opportunity, they made sure. Whenever we had opportunity, they made sure. We got it, and I kind of take that with my daughter now. I don't, I don't see her that much, so it's quality over quantity. It's like right. the time with her has to be good. Right. Um, one sentence. The most silently supportive relationship I've ever been a part of. Oh, interesting. Explain. My dad was very quiet. Mm-hmm. As I get older and older, I'm, I'm realizing more and more the extent to which I didn't know him. Okay? And he just, there was a lot of his life that he clearly didn't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't. And in our house, what dad said is what goes. Yeah. And so if dad doesn't want to talk, don't talk to dad. You know, you can talk to him about regular stuff. Yeah. But, you know, the, I, I, was left, uh, I, I was left with very few choices. Yet at the same time, when he came to realize that I had a bit of a gift for music, everything he could do. He sound, to the extent that, um, when my sister moved out and got married, her bedroom was downstairs in a corner of the house. And he knew, how to, he knew how to build. He was a great builder. 
And he went down there, completely soundproofed her old bedroom, put our piano in there, had a space for my drums to go in there, had a space for stereo to go in there. And he, and he just said, look, I love you. I love what you're doing. I completely support it. And I never want to have to hear you practice again. <laughs> so here's your room. Knock yourself out, kid. Oh, okay? that's crazy. That's the way the relationship was. He was always there whenever I performed, you know. And I knew that he loved me. Yeah. I knew he loved me, just to the core of his being. But we never really talked. The deepest conversation we had we, when we would talk, it would be on a golf course. And the deepest conversation we had was, was I really going to go to school and major in music? And, I just, and he only asked one time. And he just said, you know, you're a bright boy. If you want to go to law school, you could be a great lawyer. You could be a doctor. You could be anything you want. Is this what you truly want? And I said, There's no question. I mean, I'm in. This yeah. is it. How old are you when that happened? We had that conversation when I was... 16 because I was going into what would be my last year of high school. Okay. And I said, yeah, this is it. And he said, okay. And we never had the conversation again. Just completely supportive. Completely. That's cool. That's actually you're very lucky. But, but silent. Oh, yeah, given, given the parents of some of the students I have come to school that, and, the, and the way they are worrying about whether their kids are going to have a, you know, make a living in music and, and then you know, I've had to have some, I've had to have some serious conversations. Yep, yep. With, with parents, and from time to time, I've I've brought up my relationship with my dad. Yeah, as part of that conversation. I know with my daughter, she loves to draw, so I make sure when she's with me, she draws every day. Uh huh. Like I, don't, I tell her, I don't care if it's a half hour or an hour. You got to doodle something right every day. She is so cool. <laughs> she she's a little she's a little turd. Like I love her. She is so cool, and you two together are amazing. Man. Thank you, thank you. I, d- I definitely appreciate that. I try. Like, yeah. so so this is mine right here. Yep. Ooh, what was your first car? Uh, nineteen sixty nine. <laughs> no, nineteen seventy Pontiac GTO. What? Yep. Really? What color was it? Um. Tan, goldish color. Yeah. Tan interior. Uh, my high school friend, Kenny Schwamborn, and I, I believe, still hold the record uh, for, the fastest, <coughs> for the fastest trip on the back road between Ellenwood and Great Bend, Kansas. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Kenny was, my, Kenny was my ride or die when we were in, uh, in high school. Together. Growing up. We were, we were inseparable. That's good, man. I like that. And, uh, and um uh, and so, um, yeah, so I had this GTO, and we decided to go the back way to, to Great Bend to go get pizza. And, uh, and I just said, what do you think? Should we see? Should we time it out, see what we do? You know? He said, yeah. So he, so he watched his watch, and we went, you know. Probably spent the, the next 10 minutes an inch from death. Yeah, know. yeah, probably. You, you know? know. But we didn't care. Yeah. We were 16 and stupid. And... And and so we got there, and it was a 10-mile trip, 10-mile trip. And um, we made it in just over five minutes. Oh, wow. That's yeah. moving on yeah. dirt, dirt roads too, right? 
No, no, no. It was a paved road. Oh, it was a paved road. But, okay. Well, county road, not a state road. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's, okay. So it was paved, but paved. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And made it not quite five minutes. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, my first car was a 1979 Gold Trans Am. Those were great. Yep. And uh, I remember I wanted it, so I was going to quit sports and get a job uh-huh. so I could get it. And my parents looked at me. And they said, if you play sports, we will get you this car. Little did I know, once I graduate, <laughs> they, they gave me, they gave me the, pay, the rest of the pay stubs. <laughs> <laughs> I still got it, though. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's back on the farm on a trailer. Yeah. So one, one of these days, I'm going to fix it up. And that, that GTO had been owned for like two months by a traveling salesman mm-hmm. who figured out it was too much car for him. Yeah. So they sold it as a used car. $1,100. Oh, wow. And I had that much in a savings account. I had more than that in a savings account. So I paid cash for that car. Why'd you get rid of it? I decided to get something different to go to college. Oh, there you go. Okay, that makes sense. You know? Okay, this is mine. Yes, sir. All right. How, how are you able to love someone you don't agree with? Well, that's that's a that's an interesting question, right? Um, one, I'm from a family of eight kids, and we don't agree on anything, and, and I, I love them all. <laughs> it's it's not about I don't think it's about uh, it's about accepting their personality and their their preferences and logic on life. Mm-hmm. If you can't accept that, well, nah, it's just all even like my like my ex girlfriend. We were completely opposite in every every way, shape, and form. And, you know, we had a, a decently long relationship, even though we disagreed on just about everything. So it's possible. You just, you got to be uh, a little bit more open-minded and understanding, maybe understanding or over open-minded. You, I think you have to look at the, you have to look at the spirit of the person. Yep. That, that, that you're not, that you're not agreeing with and deciding if their overall personality is worthy of your love. It yep. must be you're spending time with them. Yep, yep. You know, um, my dad always had this saying. You know, when he and I would disagree about something, he he would always say, "Well, it's America, and you have a right to be wrong." And that was just you know that was just his way of kind of dismissing me. Yeah. While at the same time saying, "We disagree on this. You're still cool. You're still my kid, but we just disagree." Yeah. You know, and and um, you know, everybody has disagreements with the people they're closest with. Oh yeah, 100%. It if it starts to get in the way of the love, well then you need to have a conversation. Yep. Yep. Because then it's going then it's not just a disagreement about that one thing. It's going to something deeper. Yeah, it's it's stuff getting bottled up and yeah. It's yeah. it's hard. Life's too short. <laughs> That's true. Uh What were the three biggest turning points in your life? When I played my first gig at 11 years old, uh, I played, the people clapped, the pretty waitress gave me free Coca-Colas on the break, (laughs) and I got money. Yeah. Okay. 
adulation, beautiful women, and free nourishment. What was left? Okay. So the first big turning point was at 11. Um, the next big turning point was probably moving to Los Angeles in 1980. Okay. What did you move down there for? <clears throat> I was working in Kansas City. I was one of the busier musicians in Kansas City. I was teaching. I had a great life. <clears throat> I was married to my first wife, who's deceased. And um, everything was good, except in my mind, I knew that I had to find something out. I knew that Los Angeles and New York were the two biggest musical centers in the world mm -hmm. at that point. And I just frankly needed to find out if I was good enough. And you are. And so we packed up our house and our cat, and we started driving to L.A. We were in a hotel room in Salinas, Utah, uh, when it came on the news that night that the Musicians Union in Los Angeles had gone on strike. So I was going to a place to start a career in a place that wasn't working. Yeah, that's crazy. All right. Um, I also was not aware at that point um, that I was going to become a father. Oh, wow. And so I was thrust into one of the more challenging periods in my life and that I was going someplace that didn't need another person who did what I did, mm -hmm. trying to establish myself, trying to find work, and trying to establish a, a life for what was soon to become a family. Uh, I had to become very resourceful. I had to become very diverse in my skill set. And I learned a lot, and I spent a lot of time uh, having to bolster myself up because I had just moved there, so I didn't have a big friend base there. Yep. So that was, that was, that was big. Third one, deciding that I wanted to leave a lot of that behind and, and, and invest myself exclusively in teaching, which is when I moved here. Yep. Because I had been playing and writing and teaching and doing all that in Los Angeles, and I decided I wanted to spend the last part of my work years just teaching. And this job came up, and they made me a great offer. And so I came. And, then, and so making that shift um, was huge for me, and it was difficult. So those would be the three big ones for me. All right. I like those. Uh, so mine was when my daughter was born. That was a big shift in my life. Uh-huh. Then when I actually started doing martial arts, like actually passionate about martial arts. Uh -huh. And then just this last year, this last year was a big shift point, realizing I want more for my life than being a roughneck. You know, like this, you know, I got this podcast. I got a side business I'm trying to do. I'm applying for jobs around town. Yep. So let's just go from here. That's great. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> Terrified almost. What, what do you think society owes its citizens? Discipline. I think, uh, I think there's a very uh, lack of uh, discipline in this world. Mm -hmm. 
And that's why uh, you got this kind of victim mentality when people don't get their way because they were never disciplined as a child. And that's why right. when I'm teaching my kid, I, when she does something wrong, you know, I don't scold her, but I talk to her. I'm like, okay, now that you did this, you can't do this. And like, it's really hard for me because I only see my kid one weekend a month. Right. So I got to make sure my time is good. So, but when she does that stuff, I have to bite the bullet, right. discipline her and things like that. And, uh, yeah, it's, I just, I think, uh, society needs discipline. Mm-hmm. I think society owes, boy, discipline's a good one. Uh, <laughs> you might, you might've taken mine away from me without me even knowing it. Um, I think society owes its citizens opportunities. It should be possible for you to attempt to do what you believe you want to do with your life in society, as long as it's legal, ethical, and moral. Yep. Um, I also think society owes it to you to take those opportunities away if you most if you misuse them. Oh yeah, 100%. I, I I totally agree with that. So I would say opportunity. Opportunity? Well, the more disciplined you are, the more opportunity you have. You know, you make your own good luck. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's a quote uh I don't consider myself lucky. But the more I trained and practiced, the luckier I became. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's about putting in work and good things happen. All right. Who had the most influence on you growing up? I can only pick one person. No, pick a couple. Okay. We got about another 20 minutes we can do on this before get the file gets too big to okay. put online. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, my school music teachers, Mr. Bonham and Mr. Ham. Mr. Ham started the group that I started playing gigs with when I was 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and I still talk regularly. Uh, they were big. Um, a university teacher who I met when I was 14 who took a chance on me to get me to come to his school. And um, that was big. Um, Because while I was there, I met some musicians from Los Angeles who gave me opportunities when I moved to Los Angeles. Um, um, A gentleman named Dick Grove, who taught me a lot about how to write. Mm -hmm. How to to write music. Yeah. How to write music. Okay. And... um, um, and then a man named uh, Evan Copley, who helped me realize that I might have been born to be a teacher. There you go. And that I really needed to get to it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you love teaching? That's a, that's a mixed answer. <laughs> oh, sure. Okay. The students, I would... I would walk through fire for my students, mm-hmm. every one of them. And, of course, as I'm getting ready to retire, I'm looking back, and 
what I realize is that you can ask me about a student from 40 plus years ago, and I can tell you a story about them. And it's generally a good story. Yeah. You know, because, because I think that, I think we owe that, you know, that kind of dedication yeah. to those kids. And that's, and that's great. And when I'm in the room with those students, I'm on fire. Yeah. I love it. I love every second of it every day, even when they make me angry. Yep. Every other aspect of education, I absolutely loathe. I don't like the administrative part of it. I don't like the business part of mm-hmm. it. I don't like the financial part of it. I don't like the infighting. I, uh, I don't like the gamesmanship. So I just stay away from all those people. Yeah, you just do your thing. I walk in, I teach, I see my students, I leave. Yeah. Actually, the thing about teaching, too, I think teaching should be one of the highest paid careers in America. Well, g- good luck with that. I know. It, yeah, it's not going to happen, <laughs> but I, I really do. I really do think teaching should be the highest paid because you're literally putting your kids, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not just education, but development, development, life development. Yeah. At the, you know, cause at the earliest ages of your lives, especially, you know, probably to hit 25, you're always growing. You're always learning, you know? That's right. And the brain is not fully formed in women until 25 and in, in men until after that. That makes sense. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And, and, and so truly the frontal cortex is not all together. Yeah. Until that point. So, you know, and, and they all come to school hopeful, a bit delusional, and so incredibly naive, mm-hmm. you know, that sometimes it's really difficult to not laugh. Yeah, I believe it. But, but it can't be any funnier than trying to see me throw a head kick. <laughs> okay? Maybe, maybe. Okay, so, you know, but yeah. Yeah. That, what was that question? Who's the influence? influence? The people that influenced me growing up were all the people that didn't like me. Okay. I had, yeah, I grew up, I grew up teachers, bad mouth. Like I, I had, I had one teacher tell another teacher that that kid's not going to, that kid will grow up to be nothing. And another student heard that. And, you know, my parents found out, uh, parents didn't want their kids hanging out with me. Like I had such a bad rep growing up and it was wow. really, really quite odd. Cause I was actually pretty good. I had a mouth yeah, for sure, but I was still a pretty good kid. Uh-huh. I, at least I think I was, but right. yeah. So all those people that thought I was just going to grow up to be some loser that just didn't make anything of his life. Those, even to the, the, even today, the, the people that put a negative uh, vibe towards me, they, that's my motivation. Like I'd rather right. show pe- I'd rather show people that I'm winning than I'd rather have the people that don't like me. I would rather show them that I'm winning than all the people that want me to succeed. Mm-hmm. They already know it. Right. So I don't even have to worry about them. But the people, I got to prove to all these people that I'm, I am a winner and I am going to do this and I am going to have a great life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this, the negative people, that's, that's who influences me. Cool. Yeah. Okay. What have you done in the last six months that you're most proud of? <sighs> Man, everything. This podcast, I started bringing more people on the podcast instead of me doing a solo podcast. Uh, 
learning about a home business, finances, how to, you know, do book work. I'm applying for my FFL, which is a federal firearms license, which I'm talking to the city. Um, and just, and one big thing I'm proud of is learning from the experts, you know, like I was in a relationship and I talked to friends about how to make my relationship better, but they had bad relationships too or single. So why would I, why would, why was I talking to people that don't right. know anything? So, right. and then like with the business and stuff like this, I can't talk to somebody that doesn't have a business, how to start a business. So I went to books and I went to YouTube and podcasts instead of mm. getting a bias, bias point of view. I went to a s sources that, show me that this is everything's common everything happens to everybody i'm not i'm not a i'm not a special story there's there's so much knowledge in books and stuff like that like that's yep. what that's what i learned from i think that was probably the best thing i learned in the last six months is getting information from the experts why would you ask a chef <clears throat> about how to do break work <laughs> exactly right <laughs> <clears throat> i mean you know that's that's the, that's the rationale there. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, uh, but everybody does it. Everybody goes to their friends for advice, and their friends don't really have the advice because right. they're not experts. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I want to. I, I want to go into drag racing, and my friend said I should get a Prius. <laughs> you know. I yeah. It, there's a disconnect here. Yep. Yep. What's the thing I'm proudest of in the last six months? You can even go. What's the last thing you're proud of? That you figured out. It doesn't have to be six months. Wow. What is the last thing I'm proud of? Um, the decision to jump headlong into this final third of my life. Yeah. Because if I want to tell the truth, I'm a little bit fearful. What do you mean by fearful? My, <clears throat> my days and my time have been so structured mm -hmm. for my entire life. And now that entire structure is going to be gone. It's just going to be open meadow. All right. And I've heard good stories and I've heard horror stories about how people handle that. Yeah. I know there are things I want to do, um, but... That's a lot of time to fill up. Oh yeah, and um, and I'm. I think I'm going to have to really work with the flexibility that I talked about earlier to to be able to find what the new thing is. Mm -hmm. It'll be it'll be the biggest life shift I've ever made from yeah. being busy day and night, day and night. I I I, I don't know how to not keep going yeah yeah to all of a sudden having nothing to go to um take up skateboarding i <laughs> no, i'm not gonna do that <clears throat> maybe i'll do my own podcast you should you should you know i think everybody should do a podcast <clears throat> it's better than posting pictures and putting words down you, you, at least you can hear people's emotions and their thought right. process and right. how they stutter and how they make mistakes that's what i like about it and who wants to see some of those pictures? You know, some of the pictures they post. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, it's, it's just. It's, oh no, no, that's a bad decision. Yeah, I agree. Actually, uh, 
it took me a while, but I, I realized one of my biggest distractions was Instagram. So, and I used to have, I had like, I followed like 1300 profiles. So there's always something to scroll into. Oh yeah. And the other day, so every month I took the time and I scrolled through and basically unfollowed everything that doesn't inspire me. So going from 1300 plus accounts I follow, I'm like a, at 161 counts. Like Instagram is strictly for inspiration only for me. Well, I, I'm on Facebook for the politics. <laughs> um, um, actually, I'm on Facebook because I'm old, and and everybody who's my age is still on Facebook, and and I get a, and I do get a big kick out of listening to them scream at each other. Oh, it's crazy! I have two rules on my Facebook page: no religion, no politics. As long as I keep those out. Everything seems to be cool. I right. tell jokes. I tell people what's an update on my life. Yeah. The, 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 the problem with social media is that it makes us all look better than what we are and what we're living. Yeah, it's a structure to design to envy other things. Exactly. And envy, envy is, is, is not always a healthy thing. Nope. It's actually envy and jealousy are... They're very, very close, I think. Two of the seven deadly sins, I think. Oh yeah. I actually yeah, I think you're right. And so and so uh and so um, uh, you know, in fact I've I've always thought about writing like a, a, a symphonic composition based on the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. Like a seven, you know, sloth and greed and gluttony. Gluttony, yeah, you know. And and you know, I maybe that's maybe that's what I'll do when I first become retired. Actually, what I'm going to do the first day of fall semester next year is I'm going to take a picture of myself in a floaty in my pool at my house <laughs> and say, hi, guys. Yeah. Have a great year. Yeah. Uh, I'll like it. That's like that. <laughs> well, that's a, yeah, that's an hour. Well, Alan, thank you for coming on the podcast. I definitely appreciate it. Couldn't be more happy. It was a pleasure. Man. Oh, so, uh, yes. See you guys. Stay bold. Exactly.